Um, first, I just want to take this opportunity to say thank you. Um, like Pastor Nathan said, me and Laura Ashley and Holland Grace and James are serving in Kent, Belgium with the International Mission Board. We've been there about three and a half years now. And the only way that we're able to be there to share the gospel is through your giving. Your giving through the cooperative program and also through your giving to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, which y'all send faithfully and generously every year. So I just want to say thank you so much for your giving. You know, last year we were here for a couple of weeks and we were able to come by and just enjoy one Sunday morning. And one of the things that we shared them was that we were praying that God would open opportunity for us to uh, buy a, a bike to give out coffee to people on the streets of Ghent to share the gospel with them. And by His grace and through your giving to us monthly and through those special gifts, um, we were able to purchase the bike and get started going out in the streets of Ghent and sharing the gospel with people who have never heard the gospel. But things like that only happen because of your giving. So first, thank you. Thank you so much for your giving, but also for your prayers. When we think about our, our life in America, we think about our church in America, we think of Bethany Baptist Church. When we talk about coming home, our church home is Bethany Baptist Church. We plan our lives in a city halfway across the world, Bethany Baptist Church will always be our home-sending church. So we're so thankful for you guys. We're so thankful for the impact that you've had on our lives, both when we were here serving, but also as we've been in Gimbal. So thanks. But enough of that. Let's open up God's Word. So if you have your Bibles, open it up to Romans, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 2 today. Most of my preaching in, in Belgium is done through a translator. And so I speak some in English and then somebody speaks in Ghent. And so Laura actually reminded me uh, the other day, don't forget, you don't have to stop every two sentences and be silent for a minute. You can just keep going and keep talking. And so we won't be here for two, three hours. So Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. If you would, if you would stand for the reading of God's word. Paul writes to the church in Rome. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. You may be seated. Y'all got really good at that. So when thinking about what to preach this morning, I wasn't sure, but so I decided to preach a text that God has been using in my life. Here in Romans chapter 12. Through the book of Romans, Paul is, is writing a letter to the church in Rome. And the goal of the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans is to encourage and to remind the church of the beauty of the gospel and the implications of the gospel. Paul wants to make sure that the church in Rome understands the good news of Jesus. And so he spends 11 chapters laying it all out, laying out and its implications for what it means church, especially with Jews and Gentiles coming together. And our verses today is kind of a transition point in this letter. 
It's been lots of high and lofty theological ideas in the first 11 chapter. And then here, Paul begins to get really practical. In these two verses, what Paul is laying out is a summary of what's all to come. And this summary is what it looks like to live the faithful life. What does it look like to live a faithful Christian life in our age, in our time? And in these verses, Paul lays out three what three things, three instructions that he gives to the church in order for us and for the church in Rome to live faithful Christian lives. He tells us, he tells the church in Rome that they are to offer their bodies as a living sacrifice, that they are not to conform to the world around them, and that they are to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You can tell that Paul is a preacher. He gives three things there. And so we have these three things that we are to do to live the faithful life. And these are broad categories that he's giving to the church and to us. But before we hop into and dive into these three commands, I want us to look at what Paul says first in these verses. He says there in verse 1, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. Now Paul says, I'm making an appeal to you. I'm going to tell you you need to do something. I'm going to... It sounds like he's asking, but really he's saying, I'm going to tell you to do this if you want to be, if you want to walk with Jesus faithfully. But before he gets to those things, he wants them to remember something. He wants them to remember everything he's talked about in the chapters before about the gospel. He says, what I'm going to tell you to do, I want you to do because of what Jesus has done for you. I want you to do them in response to the mercies of God. See, the Christian life, the obedience to God, it comes not through just sure willpower to obey God and His commands. The Christian life is a life of is life lived out in gratitude for what God has done for us. So when we see the commands of the Bible, God gives us these commands and we are to obey them in just this overflowing gratitude for what Christ has done for us. And the song that, that Deidre and, and Hannah Saying That's exactly what it's saying in that song. It's saying what motivates us, what motivates me to be obedient, to live faithful, is the gospel, is the forgiveness of Jesus. And that is the starting point of our Christian life. And if many of you have been to church your whole life, you've heard this before. But we need to hear it over and over again because we tend to forget. We tend to forget that our acceptance through Jesus is a gift given to us. It is not something that we earn through our obedience or our goodness. It is a gift. And so we obey, again, because we are thankful for what Christ has done for us. So as we remind ourselves, Paul reminds them that this is why they are to be obedient. It's because of the mercies. Let's remind ourselves of what are some of these mercies. Paul says earlier in the book of Romans, that some of the mercies that we've been shown by God through Jesus is that Jesus took the punishment for our sins. That because of our disobedience, because of our rebellion against God, we are guilty of sin. One theologian says that because of our sin, we are guilty of treason against the king of the universe. Treason. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm pretty sure that all of us know what the punishment for treason is. It is death. It is death and And Paul wants us to remember that that is what we deserve, but Jesus took the punishment for us on the cross. So you no longer have to fear the punishment of God. 
Not only that, through his work on the cross, we have peace with God. As we tell our kids, we are now friends with God because of the work of Jesus. Jesus is not, God is not your enemy. God is your friend. He, you are at peace with him through Jesus. Paul tells us that we are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves. We can be free from sin and disobedience. That we are filled with the Holy Spirit. A mercy that God gives us is that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. That we do not have to walk through life alone. That the obedience that God commands us is not something that we have to do by sure willpower. But we have the Spirit living inside of us to strengthen us to do this. The Spirit is with us. When you feel most lonely if you're a follower of Jesus, you are not ever alone because God is with you in His Spirit. And finally, Paul tells us throughout the book of Romans that we have a hope. We have a hope for the future. Brothers and sisters, one day we will be with Jesus. One day, Jesus is going to come back, and he is going to make everything new. Every sad thing that we experience will be undone when Jesus comes back. We have hope in that. No matter what's going on in your life today, you can have hope as a follower of Jesus because you know that these things will not win. They will not have victory. Jesus will have victory. The prognosis that your doctor gives you will not have victory. Jesus will have victory because even if your body dies, he will raise it from the dead. There is hope for us. And so it's in light of these wonderful truths that Paul is going to tell us and the church, or to tell the church in Rome and us today what we're to do, what it looks like to faithfully follow Jesus. Friend, if you're here this morning, and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to understand that this is the starting point. The starting point is understanding how much God loves you and what he's done for you. The starting point is not for you to go and start cleaning up your lives to start looking like a Christian. Jesus loves you. He knows everything about you. He knows every deep, dark secret that nobody else knows. He knows it and he loves you. And he wants you to be in relationship to him. He wants to forgive you. He wants you to set you free from the shame that you feel, the fear that you feel of being caught out. And he's made a way for you to be forgiven of this sin through his work, through his life, death, and resurrection. And follower of Jesus, if you're here today, and gosh, I know that I do, I forget this. If you're just tired, if you're just worn out from trying so hard to get God to love you or accept you, I want you to know that God loves you. Your acceptance by God is not found through your ability to be obedient, but just because you are his child and he created you. God, Paul begins with this. He wants us to understand the Christian life begins with the mercies of God, not with our ability to be obedient to him. So in light of this wonderful truth that he has laid out, now the question is, what do we do? And this is where he gets to his three instructions, his three commands for us. The first, he says, is to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So, in light of what Christ has done for you, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That sounds weird. What does that mean? What does it mean to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice? I love how Eugene Peterson and in his paraphrase, um, the message, how he translates this verse. He says, what Paul is saying here is, 
Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. It is taking all of your life every day and laying it before God and saying, God, my life is yours. My life is yours to do. Whatever your will is for me, I want to do that. I want to give you everything because, you, what you, because of what you've done for me. It means giving up control of your life. And brothers and sisters, that's, that's not easy. It's not easy to hand over control of your life to someone else. In fact, in our, in our world, in our culture, this idea that you would give up your life, that you would give up control of your life to someone is, is crazy. It's almost heresy to think of living that way. We are the masters of our domain. We are the, the masters of our life. We are to control. We know what is best for us. We are the ones who are deciding what we should do with our life. If anybody tries to tell me what I should do or tells me that what I should do is what I'm doing is wrong, that the problem's with them, not with me. That is what the world is trying to tell us is the way to live, that we each individually know what's best for our lives. God is Paul is saying here, no, you don't. You don't know what's best for your life. But you have a God who does. Think about a parent and a child. There's so many times when our children do not understand what we're doing as parents. They do not know. They think they know what's best for them, but they really don't know what's best for them. They think that eating that fourth piece of cake is going to be great for them until they're up all night with a stomachache, right? They, they think if they are able to make the decisions that have control of their life, that they will know what will make them happy and what is best for them. And so often we operate the same way whether we're 10 or we're 95. Whether we're 10 or we're 95, this is how we live. Paul is saying here, as followers of Jesus, we're to lay down control at the feet of Jesus. And that can be scary. But brothers and sisters, it is the best way to live. Just think about this. Think about who you're handing your life over to. You're handing your life over to the king of the universe. The one who created everything and knows everything. The God who knit you together in your mother's womb. You're handing your life over to him. Who do you think knows you well? Who do you think knows you the best? It's God. God knows you better than you know yourself. So he, he truly knows what you need. He truly knows what's going to make you happy. What's going to give you joy that he knows. And so when we're giving our life over to him, what we're saying is we're actually giving our lives to something that's actually going to bring us more joy and more peace than anything else that we can do on our own. So God is saying, come, lay down your life, and wait to see what I'm going to do with it. It's a costly first step. But God will bless us in that. won't mean it will be easy, but it will be blessing. Paul begins here by saying, if you're going to live the faithful life, you need to lay down your life as a sacrifice. And notice, he says, oh, this is your spiritual worship. And this hints at what I was saying a second ago. And this word spiritual worship, we start to think like about singing songs maybe or 
or reading the Bible. And, but I think that's not what Paul's pointing to here. Really, a better translation of this is that this is your reasonable service to God. In other words, in light of who God is and what he's done, this is just what makes sense. For you not to give your life to God like this, it just doesn't make reasonable sense. Paul says this is what makes sense. Because we remind ourselves of who God is, and in light of who he is, why wouldn't we do that? In our everyday life, this laying down of our lives literally looks like just in the morning when you're waking up saying, God, here is my day. I have these things planned, things I need to do, but my day is yours. Use me today as I go to work. Use me today as I go to school. My life is yours. When you go to make decisions in your life that are big or small, using this as a grid or something that you can use to make those decisions. Okay, how should I approach? How should I approach and treat my colleagues at work? Okay, God, it's my life. I'm laying my life down at your feet. I want to deal with my colleagues at work like you would have me deal with them. Should I take this new job? Should I buy this new house? All these questions, taking them through that grid of my life is not my own. My life is God. So God, please, let your will be done with this. Students, it means asking yourself, asking God, where should I go to college? God, I want to do your will, not just what I want to do. What you have for me is what's best. I know that, so I want to do that. And sometimes this can be costly, but the reward of knowing Jesus is better. We have to remind ourselves of the mercies of God as we do this. So the first thing that Paul says, if we're going to live a faithful life, we need to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Second thing he says is, do not be conformed to the world. Do not conform to the world that is around us. The culture around us is constantly trying to squeeze us into its mold. We are constantly under this pressure, even if we do not recognize it, the world around us is trying to squeeze us into its own mold. And if we're not careful, we'll just go along with it, even without recognizing it. And this pressure to conform comes from all over the place. It comes from family. It comes from friends. It comes from colleagues, right? Peer pressure is not just something that teenagers deal with. It's something that we all deal with and we need to identify in our lives is that we are being pressured around us to accept things that are not good, to do things that we know are sinful by those around us. But it's not just in people we have relationships with. It's also through media, right? Through social media, we feel this pressure to conform to a certain kind of life. We look on Facebook, we look on Instagram, we look on TikTok or wherever, and we see these ideals, supposed ideals of what life is supposed to look like, And so then we try to conform or change our lives to fit that picture of what the good life looks like. We need to recognize as we look at social media, or even if we look at cable news, that the goal is that we're not just giving information simply to inform us about something, but we are being we're being changed by that. We're trying to be people are trying to convince us to. uh, I'm sorry. Let me read this. We are not just given information not simply to inform us about something, but to cajole us into thinking about something in a certain way. So wherever we're exposing ourselves to different kinds of media, we need to recognize that what I'm looking at is trying to shape me, is trying to conform me 
And when that shaping conforming is not in the image of Jesus, but in the image of the world, we need to fight against it. Brothers and sisters, I know that each of you feel this pressure to conform to the world. We live in in Ghent, Belgium. And in Europe, in many respects, according to our experience, but also to others, Europe in many ways, culturally, is 20 to 30 years ahead of America in its liberalization, in its values. So I feel like in some ways, as like a, a person visiting from the future, that the pressure to conform to the people around you, to the culture around you, is not, it's not going to lessen. It's not going to get easier to, to fight against the pressure of the world around you. It's going to get harder. And this pressure is not just going to be on you. It's going to be on your children. It's going to be on your children. And so we have to be proactive. We need to be vigilant in protecting our lives from being conformed to the world around us. We have to protect our children as much as we can from this pressure. We need to let them be able to see that what the world is trying to do to them is to conform them into this image. And this image they're being pushed to be conformed to is not the image of Christ. And will not bring joy and peace. But it will lead to destruction. We have to be aware of this. When we look at things, we watch things on television, we stream things, we need to be aware of what it's trying to do to us. When we read things on Facebook, we need to be aware that this, that this that has an agenda behind it. That it's trying to conform us, to shape us into something. And brother and sister, I know we might all laugh at this, but everything you read on Facebook is not true. I'm afraid that many of us read it like it is true. We look at things like this, and we, so we look at things on Facebook or on different news websites, non-credible news websites, or all these kinds of We look at these things, and we just accept it like it's God's truth. We have to be vigilant about those things. Because it's many of these things that we're looking on, the, that are looking on, we're looking on social media that not only affect our lives outside of the church, but they bring division inside the church. And so if we're not vigilant about what is shaping us, it is going to lead to division among brothers and sisters in Christ that doesn't need to be there. We have an enemy that is active, that is actively trying to conform us and to divide us. And it loves Facebook. He loves Facebook for what it does. So we have to be vigilant and watch videos on YouTube. All over this, we have to always keep our eyes open to the world conforming. But more importantly, we have to remind ourselves that we are called to be a people that are conformed into the image of Jesus. And Paul tells us in Corinthians, he says that the way that we are conformed, the way that we are changed, is by looking at Jesus in all of his glory and all of his beauty. Again, he's going back. It goes back to the gospel. It goes back to Jesus. You don't want to be conformed to the world. Look to Jesus. Look to what he's done for us. Remind yourself that God is the creator of all things. And so when he tells us to live our life in a certain shape, in a certain way, to conform our lives to his laws and his his, his regulations, that that is the best way to live. He is the designer, so he knows what's best. 
And when we fight against those things, when we try to conform ourselves to the image the world wants us to be, instead of what the world that Jesus wants, the image that Jesus wants to be in, we begin to have problems. C.S. Lewis says, you can't go against the grain of the universe and not get splintered. So when we fight against the design, the, the way that God created us to be, the image he wanted us to be, it hurts. And as we look at the cross, as we look at Jesus, what happens to us is we begin to look like him. And Jesus looks a lot different than the world that's around us. We begin to look like Jesus. We begin to display the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Brothers and sisters, none of those are things the world's trying to get into us. Let's fight against being conformed to the world around us. Be vigilant about what we're letting into ourselves. Be aware of how it's shaping the way that we think and feel. Be aware of how it's shaping our children so that we can be faithful followers of Jesus. And lastly, Paul says, that we're to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Let's hear that as we get our minds aligned with God's purposes and His will, to get our minds aligned with God's purposes and His will, we need to have our minds transform, our minds renewed. We need our minds to be changed, to be renewed, so that our lives will be transformed. They'll be different. Paul says in, in Romans chapter 1 that our minds are corrupt, that we do not think cor- correctly. Our minds have been infected by the virus of sin so that we cannot make decisions that are honoring to God unless He does something in us. If we're honest, this, this corruption of the mind is really easy to see in other people, right? It's very easy to look at other people and say, well, we can see how their mind is corrupted by sin. We can see the sin in their life. But what we forget is that the same thing is true of us. So we need to be aware that our minds need to be a change, that, that our fleshly mind, we cannot think correctly, and so we need to have our minds renewed. In order to follow Jesus and obey Him, our minds have to be renewed. So how do our minds renew? Well, it's a work of God. It's a work of God in our minds to renew us, but He has given us tools, He's given us means in order for this to happen. And none of these are mind-blowing, guys. It is through the reading of God's Word that our minds are renewed. Through memorizing scriptures, through prayers, through reading great books about who God is and what He's like. It's through spending time with other brothers and sisters in Christ. It is through these practices that our mind is renewed by the Spirit. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that I'm afraid of. And this is the thing that God has been working on my heart more than anything else in this verse. Is that our minds are so busy and distracted that even if we sit down to read our Bible and pray, we can't focus for more than a couple seconds and we get little benefit from these times with the Lord. That we are so busy, we're so distracted that we don't get to receive the blessing, the renewal that is promised here. I'm fully convinced that the greatest hindrance to our spiritual life today is busyness and distraction. Busyness and distraction. 
keep us from having our mind renewed, experiencing this. Why is this happening? One reason is our culture worships busyness. And so do we. We've allowed ourselves to be conformed to worship busyness. And I know this. When people ask me, how are you doing? What have you been doing? You know, I feel this instant pressure to say what? Busy. I'm so busy. My life's so busy. And and maybe it is. But like if I was to say, man, you know what? We've just been really having this relaxing couple weeks in our lives. We've been hanging out by the pool. I almost feel like this guilt about that. That guilt that my life is not just consumed with busyness. And the reason I feel that guilt, the reason that you feel that guilt, is because our culture has taught us that busyness, what we produce is where we find our value. And so if we're not able to say we've been just super busy, then we feel like we're not valuable. We feel like people are going to judge us. We don't have time to sit down and read our Bible because we have to fill our lives with so much stuff. Another reason that I think this is true is the distraction the distraction point of this is just simply our screens. There's screens, guys. It's our phones. And I, I stand up here as somebody who struggles with this, with touching their phone, with using their phone too much. We check our phones constantly. A recent Business Insider study found that the average iPhone user touches their phone 2,000 617 times in a day. Just for a a little context there, there are 1,440 minutes in a day. And you're asleep for some of those. So that means that if you have an iPhone in this room, that on average you are touching your iPhone more than two times a minute through the day. Guys, how can we think if that's what we're doing all day? How can we focus to read our Bibles if we're constantly being distracted by touching our phones throughout our day, through, through swiping, through Facebook and Instagram. And don't get me wrong, what I'm not saying is you just need to get rid of those things. What I'm saying is if our mind is going to be renewed by the Spirit, we need to think through how we're using our phones so that our minds can actually be renewed, so that we actually focus on God's Word for more than three seconds at a time and actually full, receive the full benefit. And if you're under 40, what's a little extra right here? If you're under 41 years old, the amount of times you touch your cell phone is two times as many. Guys, unless we make changes here, we are simply not going to be able to receive the full benefit of God's Word. I said that three times. We're just not. We've got to examine how we spend our time with our eyes and our minds. And just, just in case, just so I don't live anybody out, Television can have the same effect. And brothers and sisters, the people who watch the most television are people 65 and above. The, first, the average six person, people 65 and older watch an average of seven hours of television a day. Brothers and sisters, we've got to examine how we are, what we are focusing our minds on and what we are looking at if we're going to be able to be renewed and transformed by God's Word. We simply cannot, if we keep living the way that we're living, we cannot expect to be the people that God's called us to be. I can't expect to be the person God's called me to be. So what do we do? 
we change the way we live? Yeah. One of the ways that our family has experienced the ability to be renewed, to have our minds renewed and be transformed through a practice of Sabbath, a practice of taking a day as a day of rest and worship every week. This practice of Sabbath, of taking this rest, gives your mind the space to rest and actually gives you the ability to be renewed. This is why God commands the Jews to have a Sabbath. This is why Jesus practiced the Sabbath. This is why he took rest. Now, I understand, we are not under the Old Testament law, so I can't get up here and tell you every Friday evening to Saturday evening you can't do anything. You need to take a Sabbath. But you need to figure out a time in your week, a significant time in your week, whether it's an afternoon or a whole day, where you are taking a rest. And what I mean by that is I mean putting your phone away, putting work away. Putting away work email, not answering work calls. This day, making a decision that this day, this time, is set apart for rest and worship. It also means not just putting away work, but not running errands. Being present with people around you. doesn't mean just vegging out on television, but finding rest for your eyes, your brain, your heart. Finding rest, but it also means worship. Now, for most of us, if we take a break like this, it'll be on, have a day of rest. It'll be on a Sunday. So, obviously, we gather here for worship. But worship is more than that in the Bible. It's not just reading and reading the Bible and singing and hearing the Word preached. Worship is something we do with all of our lives. So we can worship God through eating good food. We get together, we cook food. Like for our family, one thing that we do is we buy, we like coffee, so we buy expensive coffee, right? But we only drink it on our Sabbath. So every day we're drinking just regular coffee. And then it's like, man, I cannot wait for my day of rest where I can have the good coffee. I can't wait till that day of rest comes where I don't have to study dust. And, I, I mean, but this is what God does in that. He'll do in you. I cannot wait for this day of rest. It will grow in you this excitement for this day. And as it grows that excitement for this day, you remind yourself, the reason I'm able to rest, the reason I'm able to worship and not have to be worried all the time, is because my God is the king of the universe and I can, ta- I can trust him to take care of me. I can trust him to take care of the things that I know that are on my mind. So worship. I mean, keep going. Take a nap. Play outside with your kids. Go ride on the boat. Go fishing. Things that bring you life. Taking this time to rest and enjoy it. So that your mind has space to be renewed. Now, this is a gift. I can't explain to you the, the impact this has had on our lives, on our marriage, on our kids. I encourage you to find time to do this. Now, I know some of you are saying, but Leah, I have a demanding job, and I love it, or I hate it. And so I just can't make time for that. Brother and sister, I want to tell you, Jesus rested. Or, yeah, maybe you're thinking, yeah, that's great, but I have smaller kids right now, and it's just not doable. Maybe later when my kids are older. Brother and sister, Jesus found time for rest. Maybe you're thinking here today, and I've heard this said before. Well, Lee, the devil doesn't rest, so we shouldn't rest. You're right. 
Satan doesn't rest. But guess what, brother and sister? He also loses. Jesus rested. We have got to find time to rest. And, and Nathan and, and Jason, they didn't pay me to say this, but I challenge you out as a church to make sure that your pastors have time for rest. If they're going to be the men of God that they are called to be, that they need to be, to lead you to Jesus, to be there when you're sick, to be there when you need to be comforted or you need advice, if they're going to be those men, then they need times of rest. So let them say no sometimes. Let them say, I would love to, but really that's time that I'm spending with my family. Make sure they're taking their vacation. The only way that they're going to be the men that they need to be is if you allow them the time for rest. And the only way that we're going to be the people that God has created us to be, the only way that you can be the follower of Jesus that God wants you to be is if your mind is able to actually be renewed, which means that your mind actually needs rest. Students, this is not an excuse just to get out of studying and not doing good at school. But tell your parents, I need some rest. Enjoy it with them. We need rest. So Paul here in Romans chapter 1 and 2, he appeals to the church. He appeals to them to follow Jesus faithfully. And that's exactly what I want to do this morning. I'm doing this morning. So I want to appeal to you, friend, who's, who's not a follower of Jesus. I want to appeal to you that God, there is good news in the gospel. That Jesus knows everything about you and he loves you. That he made a way for you to be made right with him. That there is freedom from the guilt that you feel. There is freedom from shame. There is freedom from fear. There is freedom in Jesus Christ and his work. So come, take him, trust him. And then begin this journey of becoming more like Jesus. I appeal to you, follower of Jesus, brother and sister in Christ. Just to lay down your life at the feet of Jesus. Fight conformity to the world around you. And to have your mind renewed so that your life is changed, so that you are transformed. Remind yourself of the good news of the gospel. And seek to live faithfully after him. I promise, not me, God promises. Every step of the way, no matter where it leads, no matter how difficult it is, to do these things, that Jesus will be with you. And that he is better than anything the world has to offer. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have made a way for us to know you. God, I pray for our hearts that we would never forget the gospel. That we would never forget that our obedience to you is, is not so that we can be accepted by you. It's not so that we can be loved by you. But it is out of gratitude. So I pray that each of us, God, in light of what you've done for us, that we would lay our lives down for you. That we would, be, that we would not be conformed to the world around us. God, that we would be transformed by renewal of your mind. That Bethany Baptist Church would be a people 
who, who model this to the world around them, who model this giving up of control, this nonconformity and this, this transformation to the people around them. And as people look at Bethany, they look at the people of Bethany, they would see a people who are different. They would want to be a part of not only this church, Lord, but to be a part of your family through faith in Jesus. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. In Jesus' name I pray.